Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, speak through your word and show us what you have for us that we might continually believe more and more what you have done for us, Jesus, and want to follow him. In his name, amen. Well, I told you that it was a bit of a difficult parable, and then if you didn't think it was, then you probably got to the last line and went, oh, that, there, there is something hard about this. This is called the parable of the ten minas, which is uh, a unit of measurement. It's 100 days pay, so a third or so of your annual salary, so a good amount of money. That's what a mina is. It's also has different names. In Matthew, it's called the parable of the talents, but that's a little different. Uh, sometimes it's called the parable of the pounds, which seems to fit for Thanksgiving week, but I thought that, you know, a little different. But parable of the ten minas. And the main theme that we're going to talk about today is faithfulness. And I think there are a lot of different lenses or kinds of faithfulness that the story brings up. So we're going to look at four of them, four, you might say, kinds of faithfulness that this story teaches us. And then at, at the end, say, why? Why be why would we even be faithful to Jesus or want to be? I want to tell you the story again and try to hear it through that lens. And I'll make just a few comments as we go through. So here's Luke 19. He's about to enter Jerusalem to be crowned king. And yet, what is Jesus' kingdom actually? He says in John, my kingdom's not of this world. It's actually on a cross dying for you and rising from the dead for you, but that's not what everybody had in mind when they thought of going to Jerusalem to become king. But the story begins, 11, he says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But some of his citizens hated him. He sent a delegation after saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. But when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered all the servants to whom he had given money to be called to him so that he might know what they had been up to while he was gone. So the first came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And then he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful and very little, you will have authority over ten cities. And then the second one came in and said, Lord, your mina has made five more. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. And then another came and said, Lord, here is your mina. I laid it away in a handkerchief for I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man, taking what you did not deposit, reaping what you did not sow. And then Jesus said to him, or the, man, the master said in Jesus' words, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, or you thought you knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Then why did you not at least put it in the bank and that I might have had interest when I come back? And then the master said to those who stood by, take the mina from him, give it to the one who has ten. And then they protested, saying, well, he already has ten. But the master said, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. 
which felt weird to say this is the gospel of the Lord after that. <laughs> First, I'll deal with that before we back up into the story. For the record, Jesus is not advocating killing. He is telling a story. He's telling a parable. And almost all of his parables have something shocking, something outrageous, something that makes you kind of jolt and jump. And when we don't, it's because we just don't understand as much of, of the world that he lived in. So yes, shocking, but actually not. Guess what happened back then, and even today in some countries, when you back the wrong leader who wants to be ruler, leader, king, and you back the wrong horse, what happens when he comes back and finds out that he or she comes and finds out that you backed the wrong person? Right. So this, this isn't uh, a stretch. It's just weird to hear Jesus tell a story that ends like that. And why, then, is the unfaithful servant, the one, the third guy in the story, why is he condemned? We'll get to that. First, to kind of hold a difficult parable together, I said we're going to talk about main theme of faithfulness. And I think there are four kinds, at least, here that we'll talk about. There are probably more you can pick out as you read it on your own more. But we're going to look at four kinds of faithfulness we'll see in this parable and then then ask why. Why would we disciples try to be faithful is private, private faithfulness. And maybe, I think maybe it's the most important. And that is, are you the same person behind closed doors as you are publicly? Do you do the things that you say you'll do? Are you privately faithful to the people around you, to your life, to your callings? Someone who quietly goes to work every day, does a good job, comes home, loves their family, cares for their neighbors, is faithful even if they don't tell anybody. Private faithfulness means to do the right thing whether or not anyone is watching. That's a good thing. And people that have really impacted me, some of them are people that when nobody's looking, you would see them spending time alone in God's word and time alone praying, praying for other people, studying the scriptures even when no one was watching. So you don't need to advertise yourself. You don't need to have a post about everything in your life that you've done good. Just be faithful and do the right things. So you see that with the servants in the parable. Some of them quietly and privately did what the master asked while he was gone. They were faithful. They were faithful in private. So faithfulness to God definitely means private faithfulness, but it's not the only thing. So there's private faithfulness, which is important, but also in this story you'll see there's public faithfulness. So it begins, verse 11, if you're following along, Jesus told a parable, and it says why. Because he was near Jerusalem, and they all thought the kingdom of God was to appear, that means Jesus was going to take charge, maybe slaughter people, and, and be, rule, reign in Rome. And No, that's, but that's what they thought. And so he tells them this story because of that. And he says, a nobleman went to a far country to receive a kingdom, his kingdom then returned. But some of the citizens hated him and didn't want that. So they sent a delegation saying, we do not want this man to be king. But he returned, having received it, and then ordered all of those servants to whom he had given the money to come back and give an account. So everybody knows of Jesus' birth. Herod, in 40 B.C., made this famous journey to Rome to plead his case to Caesar to be made king of Judea. And he was successful. Caesar didn't trust him. He didn't like him, but he thought he could do the job he wanted him to do over there. And so he did. 
Herod got the job. But then 36 years later, now this is 4 BC, Herod's son, one of his sons, Archelaus, made the same trip when Herod dies without the other brother knowing to get the kingdom over the other brother. So he makes the same trip, but guess what? It doesn't go so well. So Herod's son makes the trip, goes away to Rome, plead his case to be king, and he actually gets banished, and it is given to his brother. So everybody knows this story, and it doesn't always go well when you go to, away to Rome to try to plead your case to be king. What that means then is the people back home don't know the outcome when you're gone. They don't know what's going to happen. The people in Israel were back waiting, so it might not be smart to publicly support anyone too soon in case they lose. But then this guy does receive the kingdom. So he says, calling the ten servants, before he, he, before he leaves, he gives them ten minus a third of a year's salary and says, engage in business until I come back. What that means is here is seed money, not just to do something with, but to do something in my name as a representative of me. Engage in business. People will know where the money came from and know who you represent and who you serve. So by them engaging in business, doing something wise with what the master gave them, they were publicly, you are publicly declaring your allegiance to me. You are publicly saying, I am your king, even when I'm gone, and you don't know if I'm coming back when or if I'll be king when I come. So do you see that it is a risk for the servants to do something? Right? It's a risk to use the money given them because they are being asked by the master to be publicly faithful. So do you get what Jesus might be saying to us? Jesus will return one day. And until then, he wants, yes, our private faithfulness, but he also wants our public faithfulness too. Will you publicly show others that you serve King Jesus, even if it's risky or even if it costs you? Will you publicly declare your allegiance to King Jesus if it's not popular or if it brings ridicule or if it brings punishment? One Bible teacher uh, who recently died a few years ago taught a number of years, different classes at the Lutheran Seminary in Latvia, which is former Soviet Union. And he said when they were admitting students, particularly in the 90s and number of years, 90s into 2000s, they often only had to ask one question to anyone that said they wanted to apply to be a pastor. And that question was, when were you baptized? Most people, that was the only question ever needed. Why? Because if they were baptized, 1989 or before, they publicly declared to the Soviet Union that Jesus was their king. No other questions. Is that when were you baptized? 1987? Yes, you can be a pastor. We'll, we'll take you. After that, you know, if their date was after, for whatever reason, they just needed to ask more questions. Being faithful to Jesus means private and public. Now, I'm not suggesting that you leave here today and, and go get a big loudspeaker and go yell at people on the street corner. I'm not su suggesting that. But will you live your life in the way God calls you to, in a way that is a public witness so that others know that you serve King Jesus? And then, by the way, it says, well, some of the citizens didn't want that. Verse 14, some of them hated him. And sent a delegation saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. 
Don't you know people that say, I don't want Jesus to be my master? Do you know people who resist the lordship of Jesus? Maybe, maybe it's you today or maybe it has been you. And while Jesus asks for our public faithfulness, we know people who would publicly say, no thanks, I don't want you to be my king and to reign over me. Okay, we have private faithfulness, public faithfulness. What's the next one? Next one is humble faithfulness. Verse 16, the story continues. As he calls them back, he, he returns, became king in the story, and the master calls the servants back and, and says, uh, the first comes and says, Lord, your mina has made ten more. And he said, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a little. I'll put you in charge of ten cities. Second comes in and says, your mind made, made five more. And he says, great, you will be over five cities. The faithful servants who privately and publicly served their master also served humbly. They didn't take credit for their own work. Hold high, I worked my tail off and I earned all this. What are their words? What are their exact words? They say, your mina earned ten more. Your mina earned five more. They, they, never, they knew it was never theirs. They were managing their master's stuff. God generously gives gifts to his people, to you and to me. And God gives you grace and peace through Jesus' free gift. Salvation by grace through faith, through the death and resurrection of Jesus is God's gracious gift to you because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done. And that's not all. God gives us more than that. God gives you spiritual gifts to serve others and to build the church and bring glory to God. And God gifts you with, with skills and abilities to serve others and contribute to God's world. What you and I have in every way is a gift from God. It's not ours. So the humble, faithful servant says, Master, your mine. Earn ten more. God, the gifts you gave me allowed me to help my neighbor in their time of need. Humble faithfulness. And then, by the way, you see right away what the result is of their faithfulness. What happens to those who are the servants that are faithful? The master says, well done. You have been faithful and little. Now you will have authority over more, ten cities, five cities. He does not say, you've made money, here's more money. He doesn't say that. But those who are faithful were given more opportunity to be faithful. Those who were faithful were given more opportunity to serve others. And being in charge of five cities or ten cities doesn't mean you're just going to make more money. It means you have more people to care for and more people to meet their public needs because that's what it means to serve in charge of cities. Here's an example. Let's say you run a small business and have just a handful of employees and you do your very best to treat them well, to pay them well, to be good to them, and you enjoy them working for you, and they, and they enjoy working for you. And now, if your business flourished and grew, and you had to hire more people or have more locations where you paid people well and treated them all well, would people around look and say, that's a good thing? Would they look at you and say, that's a good thing that your business has grown because you're treating people well and you're being fair to customers and you're being good to your employees? Yeah, I think everybody would say, hey, that's a good thing that your business grew. Same concept. Faithfulness earns you more opportunity to be faithful and to serve others. 
Okay, what's the last one? We have private faithfulness, public faithfulness, humble faithfulness. Last one is accountable faithfulness. The master returns, right? The master returned in the story and became king. And then he came back to see how faithful his servants were in his absence. Verse 15, when he returned, having received, he ordered them to come and that he might know what they did while he was gone. Jesus will return. He is our king who will return and he will gather his church from all corners of the globe. And Jesus will return to end evil, to end injustice, and to end hunger and everything bad. And he will return to begin the new heavens and the new earth for eternity. But until then, we are accountable to Jesus for how we live, how we act, how we treat people. So accountable faithfulness. We are accountable. So all of that kind of brings us to, okay, I get that. and Maybe I want to do that most of the time, sometimes. But why? Why would we want to be faithful? Why, why be faithful to Jesus? And then where would we even get strength to do that? And quite simply, if you read through the characters in the story, the answer is this. Why would we want to be faithful or why would we? It's not because we're trying to earn anything from the master or earn more things. It's because we know who our master is. When you have a good and kind and gracious master, you want to serve them. When you have a harsh, task-masking one, task task one, you don't want to, right? And our master's Jesus. He is our king, our risen, ascended one who will return. And our king has unconditional love for you that invites you, not by his demands for loyalty, but by scars in his hands, feet, and side that bled and died for you. Jesus is our master. He is our, our good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Our master who, who loves you and rescues you and then, only after that, asks you to follow. So do you know what our God is like? Do you know your master? That's what Jesus is asking us. All the faithfulness of all the people and unfaithfulness in the parable comes down to this question. Do you know your master? And do you know that God is just, but God is merciful? And do you know that your master loved the world, you and me, so much that he sent his only son? That but yet, in the story, there's the third servant, who that's some of the most confusing stuff, but it comes down to this. He didn't know the master. He got him wrong, right? He said, here's your mina, I kept it laid hidden away in a handkerchief because I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you do not deposit, reap what you did not sow. That's actually not true about the master because the master turns it on him and says, I'll condemn you with your own words. You didn't know me. The guy didn't know. He misread. He got his character wrong, and so he hides the money. But guess what? In real life, that guy was the smart one, right? You don't know if the nobleman will come back as king or not king. So you would smartly, shrewdly hedge your bet. He was the smart one that buried it and said, I'll wait and see who becomes king to whether to, whether to see who I'm going to support and who I'm going to follow. He was actually the smart one, except he didn't know the master. If he knew who the master was and the character of his heart, he would have done something productive and faithful. So why is the one servant condemned and the others praised? It's not because he didn't make money. 
but it's because he didn't know the master, so he wasn't faithful. He got God's character wrong. I wonder if you know somebody, as I do, or people that think God is mean and angry and out to get people. And maybe that's how you see God, or maybe that's how you have seen God, as a harsh disciplinarian just waiting for you to screw up so he can get you. And maybe you know people that, that won't come to church or haven't come to church in years because that's who they think God is. Well, guess what? That's not our master. You know who your master is. The good shepherd, the great I am, God with us, God who died and rose for us. It's Jesus. You have a gracious, loving, and forgiving master who, yes, then entrusts you with things and then invites you to be faithful. And we are faithful people simply because we know our master and trust him. In Jesus' name, amen.